Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining me yet again for another uh, conversation today. And I'm here with a new friend of mine, Nova Reed. Thank you so much, Nova, for making time for the Boca Podcast. Absolutely, my pleasure. Well, and I said this to you before we got started. I'm excited for a conversation just simply because you exude a certain energy through your website, newbride.com, and that's spelled N-U-B-R-I-D-E.com. Uh, that is just, it's almost contagious before I even had the, the chance to have conversation with you. So kudos to you for kind of communicating that air effectively, I guess. Oh, bless you. Thank you. I, I, one thing I say is that I'm always myself. So um, to have that feedback is quite lovely. Thank you. No, absolutely. And we're going we're gonna to dive into the brand New Bride and, and learn a little bit about the backstory and ultimately what you are trying to do with that brand. I think it's a pretty interesting story. We'll get there in just a little bit. But we normally start the podcast off with something called a technique for time. As a business owner myself for close to, to two decades now, I know how busy running a business or a brand can be. And I'm curious if there's something that you do on a regular basis that enables you to have a little bit of space, a little bit of time for yourself. Oh, I don't want to give too much away now because I think you could ask me, but my background, I used to work in mental health for just under 10 years. Wow, so okay. I'm extremely boundaried around looking after yourself, protecting your energy, um, because you cannot... As much as we pretend that we can, we cannot give our best quality if we're running ourselves into the ground and we're exhausted or we're distracted. So yeah. I'm really boundaried at sort of giving myself time in my working week to have time to myself for self-care, for non-work matters, to switch off, exercise, whatever I need to do, sing. <laughs> singing really oh i love that too okay so do you have do you sing any and everywhere or is there a particular place that you like to sing well where do i sing no well i used sometimes i sing with the gospel choir okay um or mostly just at home <laughs> i love it you know something actually that that most of our listeners probably don't know about me is i i grew up quite involved in music my family was highly musical we were all required to play a couple of years of piano and then you picked a, an instrument after that i ended up playing clarinet into college but i also sang with a traveling group and there is something about harmony that still gets to me. I hear a song come on and I hear a beautiful harmony and you know, I can get goosebumps probably just listening to that. But um, yeah. I bet singing with that choir has got to be an incredible experience. It's, I, th I don't think you can connect with people on a, on a human level in any other way that you can when you sing with, it, with somebody in a gospel choir. You just There's something very, very powerful about music and healing and community and togetherness. So. Oh, yeah. I'm literally getting goosebumps as, as you're talking about it because I can totally put myself in that place too. It's it's so true. That's that's really, really cool. Now, I'm curious to, to get your take on this because you talked about the significance of um, taking time for mental health and mental clarity ultimately. What is the balance between, I mean, you know, in this 2018 culture where we're very privileged to be able to even talk about having that kind of time to create that time for ourselves What's the balance between making sure that we have that time, but then also making sure that we're putting in the work as well? 
uh, self-discipline, I think, is, you know, I think for anyone who is an entrepreneur, works for themselves, you need to have self-discipline. Not everybody is self-motivated, and I realise that. So I don't think that can be taught. You're either self-disciplined or you're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's about just carving out time. You know, when you're running your own, when you're running your own baby, your own project, you're self-motivated to get the work done. So I think rather than lacking motivation, I think what people struggle with when they're passionate about the work that they do is stopping. So getting started and doing it isn't a problem. It's knowing when to stop. It's knowing when the, you know, when to end the working day. It's knowing when to switch off. Yes. And for me, I I do simple things like I I don't have my work emails on my mobile phone. So when I switch off at the end of the day, it's the end of the day. I don't let I don't get drawn in by emails that come in at eight, nine, ten p.m., eleven p.m., one o'clock in the morning. I love that. I log in. I am in control of the hours I work, not my clients. So I think it's managing expectation and managing boundaries that make it much easier to sort of be a little bit flexible within that, but yes. having a structure. So I would say f- figure out what structure works best for you. It's not going to be the same for everyone. Like my energy. I am much better in the afternoon and evening okay. than I am first thing in the morning. So first thing in the morning, I, I don't give myself a lot to do <laughs> yeah. uh, so that I can ease my way in. And, and during the during the afternoon when I'm more focused, that's when I give myself more. So it's figuring out how your energy and your flow works as well and working in your own rhythm according to that. I love that. It's really good. And and it seems a bit counterintuitive, especially to artist types. I mean, I'm part of the photography industry. And um, I think the argument that you would get from a lot of photographers is, well, I am a so-called artist type. And because of that, I need the flexibility and the freedom to kind of just function however and whenever. And the reality is at the end of the day, as counterintuitive as, as counterintuitive as it might seem to an artist type, a little, even a little bit of structure can ultimately mean yeah. more freedom and flexibility on the back end. Um, it takes a little bit of time sometimes to implement those systems that enable that that efficiency, which then results in the freedom. But I think it's a really important note, and I'm, I'm glad that you share that with our listeners. I, you kind of touched on this already, but I'd love to hear something just totally random that most people don't know about you. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay, I'll give you two. I okay. hate Marmite. I absolutely loathe it. I can't bear it. I can't even get <laughs> when I had it. All right. um, and I used to sing with a, a singer over here called Beverly Knight. Really? Okay. So did you sing, I mean, like as a, as a backup singer or were yes. you? Okay. Now that's, and how long did you get to do that for? Oh my gosh. I can't remember when that was now. <laughs> a long time ago when i used to have short hair so yeah fair enough fair enough is this i mean this this theme of of singing and music has come up quite a bit already is that is that something that you eventually want to get into professionally no Again? i used to so okay. um it was my first love i used to be a professional actress and singer so um that's what i did before mental health and blogging so it's 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 still there in the background but it's not something i massively pursue anymore so okay. I, i'm still connected with people in the industry which is why i get called to to sing every now and then and do backing vocals um but yeah that's a, a long time ago in my 20s <laughs> <laughs> i hear you two decades ago now wow yeah yeah well it, you mentioned your husband on on your blog and uh, i'm curious does he sing as well do you all get to sing duets occasionally my husband in another life so before we met was a songwriter Wow, and he used to be in a boy band, which he doesn't like to talk about much. So I'll make okay. sure he doesn't listen to the podcast. Uh, so he's 
but he 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 used to be a songwriter and then he just left he left the industry and and then ended up doing sort of the nine to five job and as a creative found that extremely unfulfilling and stifling yes. so it's only been in the past what are we now I'd say six months that he's re-exploring that again and he started writing again so we'll see where he ends up but he, my husband's a creative as well so yeah Oh, well, that that's, there is something about having, again, that freedom that you have as an entrepreneur, as an artist, to be, as you say, stifled, put in that, that corporate arena is a really, really tough thing. I can't imagine now, again, almost 20 years into being my own boss, if you will, getting back into that space would be a really tough thing. We are pretty lucky as business owners to have that flexibility. And of course, ultimately, the, the challenge uh, is to, to figure out how to most effectively take advantage of that freedom and that flexibility. Yeah. And you've had the wonderful opportunity not only to do that yourself through New Bride, but ultimately to speak to a kind of a bigger mission. And mm. uh, so I'd love for you to share that backstory of New Bride. Talk to us about how, it got, how you got started with this brand. It was really simple. It was out of my own engagement. So um, I would describe myself as a feminist and I was, or was, I say, probably still am, very, very independent. So I was quite happy on my own. Didn't really do much of the dating scene. I was very focused with my career at that time, which sort of was the acting and singing stuff. And I, and I didn't need a man and I was just focused on my career and that was it. And then my husband came along and sort of turned everything upside down. And then we got engaged sort of about seven years into our relationship. And that's when I first discovered the wedding industry. So I didn't know much about the industry and I didn't realize how homogenous it was until I got engaged. And I yeah. thought, why is this such, you know, where are, basically where are all the black people? I thought, sure. I was like, we get engaged. I, you know, my husband and I, I would describe as quite trendy, stylish. We had a decent budget. We wanted to spend money. And there was just absolutely nothing for us. There was this massive, great big silence. And I thought, well, this is odd. You know, I experienced sort of battles with racial discrimination, I guess, when I was in the acting world and, you know, limited roles and not much representation. But that was that was nearly two decades prior. So mm. I was like, why haven't we moved on yet? Um, and the more I sort of dug around, the more I realised that it, it wasn't sort of one of publications and one of wedding fairs and, you know, one of businesses that, that weren't inclusive. It was across the board. Everybody seemed to be speaking to the quintessentially white, British, heterosexual size eight blonde woman and that was it so I thought this is ridiculous and I, I approached a few of the magazines and I said you know where where's the diversity and I got fobbed off and I thought you know what rather than spend my energy arguing with people who, yeah. who don't have the courage to be honest with me let me just create my own platform and, and I'll be honest with you Nathan I started it just to rant <laughs> <laughs> started the blog to have a rant yeah. and just I found it quite therapeutic writing about my experience sure. of black women getting married. And then people started following and then brands started contacting me saying, can we advertise? Can, you know, can we place a banner ad? And I was like, I have no idea what a banner ad is. So yeah. I got married and I thought, let me see if I still have the energy for it after I, after we've gone through this process, because it may have just been just because I was a bride to be, but the energy was still there. Followers were continuing to, to increase. And I thought, hold on, let, let me turn this into something. So that, that's, that's kind of the journey. That's how it started. And, and most of the work I do now is, is sort of around 
either doing inspirational talks, keynote sessions or training businesses, individuals, publishers, hotel staff on how to be more inclusive without causing offence. And and also for some people who worry about alienating their current market, how to do it in a way that is representative and inclusive for the, the, the many rather than the few. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, this is such a loaded topic. And I realize with the limited amount of time, we can only kind of dive so far into it. But there's something that you said in your blog that I'm really curious about. And just to give context, both to yourself and to our listeners, I grew up in Japan. Um, I spent about 10 years of my life there. And so I'm used to being in a culture, being kind of the odd man out, if you will. Yeah. And, and so this this topic, this focus on on racial issues, certainly in the U.S. culture, I'm sure it's it's probably very common as well in U.K. culture, is, is in some ways confusing to me. Because at the end of the day, I just want everybody to love everybody. And, and it's a very mm-hmm. naive kind of idealistic mentality, I realize. And it probably gets in the way of my understanding at times of the issues at hand. But you said something on, on the blog that, was, that, that makes me curious. You said that the void that you spoke to just a little bit ago, the exclusion, if you will, of, of the Black Bride, it's, you said it made made you feel quite surprised and unexpectedly excluded as a woman living in such a cosmopolitan and multicultural UK. And you know the way the media paints these racial issues at times, it's just kind of extremism, uh, not, not even almost. It, it is true extremism at times, and it makes it seem as though people are 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 hateful very, very consistently and almost all the time. And and I can't imagine that that's the case. It's certainly not the, the personal experience that I've had with multicultural friends on, in, in my own life. But did you, I guess ultimately this is, did you experience blatant racism or had you not experienced blatant racism on an ongoing basis in that multicultural UK? Uh, and that's why it was surprising to you? Or is there something else at play there? I'm, I'm curious to get your take on it. So I think... Yeah. I think there's a in the UK we're very good at putting up appearances. Okay. We're very good at not addressing the issue and almost putting on a show, pretending that everything's fine. So I think that leads you into a false sense of security. Mm. And I'll give you a bit of context. So when we had the vote to leave the EU, when Brexit happened, yeah. we saw a spike in race-related and also disability hate crimes. I can't remember the stats, but it was around 40%. And they were as a direct result as the vote to leave the EU. And what happened was people couldn't believe what was happening. They're like, we live in such a multicultural society. We're tolerant, which is a word I don't particularly like, but we don't understand where all this hate is coming from. And my point was, or my point I'm trying to make is, the hate has always been there. People, So we're led to believe that it's a, a small minority when actually it's, it's more than people will realise. And sometimes it's not because necessarily people believe they hold racist views or discriminatory views. They've been brought up with a certain set of ideals and values to which they believe to be true. Mm. Um, and they are, they are expressing those views in a way openly that they wouldn't have before free fear of causing offence or be like, being politically incorrect. And I think because of our, um, I can't go so much into politics in such a short time, but sure. um, a, a lot of the voting around leaving the EU in the UK, around Brexit, was around anti-immigration. And I think that's the, the sort of narrative that's been tainted with it. So it, it gave a rise to people who held discriminatory and racist views. Um, it just emboldened behaviour that was probably suppressed. Wow. So it, I don't think things have... 
gotten worse I just think they're more at the surface now than they have been before so I don't I um, yeah go back to your original question (laughs) well I know and 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 I you know I I was kind of stumbling over my question too but I guess the, the thing that I that I can't get away from I mean when I have Again, having my background, living in a different country and being, you know, the blonde kid amidst all the dark haired individuals and dark eyed individuals who, I mean, my Japanese, even my friends are, you know, coming up and and they're wanting pieces of my my blonde hair because I look different. I'm being treated because I'm different. I'm practicing with the soccer team and ultimately kind of getting ridiculed because again, I'm, I'm different. So I understand what it, it means to be in that environment. And yet I also understand what it means to have really close friendships and ultimately a strong personal desire to connect with any and everyone regardless of how we look and it just seems like such a ridiculous idea that we still are having these conversations in 2018 you think we'd be so much further along and we're not and and I realize that's reality and so part of me though is while, while I want to make sure that that we that we give time and room for conversation to real issues real true racism that that is happening as you're saying at the same time, I also want to make sure that we do everything, and, and at least I do everything in my power, to encourage light to be shed on the reality, which is that not everybody is behaving that way, and that we encourage yeah. uh, that that love to be, I guess, publicized a little bit more. There's so much focus on all the bad that's happening, but I also want to make sure that that we give air and we give time to people who, who don't think that way, because I think that in some ways that might actually help the conversation along. It might help us move beyond, you know, this, there, there's a tendency. In fact, um, I just, I got back from the, the track, uh, the racetrack this past, this, this past weekend, riding a motorcycle it was my first experience at the track. And one of the things, uh, one of the principles that really drove home while I was there on the track is the reality is, which is that if you are short sighted, if you keep your eyes on the ground right in front of you, rather than looking beyond and through that turn and, and where you actually want to go, it will literally cause you to crash. And so it, it's, it's counterintuitive because you want to look right in front of you, you want to protect yourself, you want to make sure you don't get hurt, you don't go the wrong way. And yet the reality is, if you keep your eye on the ball, if you keep your eye looking forward, you're looking beyond what's going on right in front of you, there, it, it actually enables you to, to carry the best line, using a, a racetrack term, carry the best line to go the fastest and, and to be able to move on to the next corner. And it's a, it's a fascinating metaphor for life on multiple levels. And so I'm, I'm curious, I guess, just about your take on where the balance is between we need to make sure that we highlight the issue, which is exclusion, no question. And you've done a, such a beautiful job of creating a brand that encourages inclusion. But where is the balance between kind of focusing on exclusion, but then also making sure that, we highlighting, that we're highlighting the fact that, that so many great people are out there including and loving and treating people equally. Where is the balance? I think you've just, well, you've just answered the question. It's, it's talking about both. Okay. <laughs> it's shining the spotlight on both. It's for, so I did, a, I did a keynote session uh, a couple of months ago and somebody asked a question about what they can better do to be more attitudinally inclusive within their brand. And I can't remember what my response was. And somebody put up their hand and they said, but Nova, I actually think there's a step before that. And the step before that, which I forget about because my it's my everyday experiences means I'm more acute and aware of things because yeah. my experience of the world being a minority 
in a white majority country is different, much like yours was in Japan. Sure. It's, in, it's in my conscious mind all the time. They said there's a step before and it's awareness. She said, until you realize, until, it's, until the awareness has been raised with you, you won't know that you're doing anything to sort of enable inequality. Mm. So it's about raising awareness and it's about talking about the fact, you know what, the, some of these things that are happening, in fact, I must express this, most of the things that are happening happen at a subconscious level. From the programming we get in popular culture, from what we see on TV, the media that's fed to us, our historical relationship with one race being build as more desirable than the other or what may race be more superior to another those are ingrained and embedded in our history and in industries and in cultures so we have to remember that that's where we've all come from sure yeah so you know it's going to take a little bit of time to undo the sort of the 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 natural paths that our brains follow or the natural biases that we form so most of this stuff is happening at a subconscious level so the first step is raising awareness most of the time when i uh, sort of spoke about feeling excluded as a a british bride who's also happens to be black and saying there was just no magazines with with there's been no magazine with a, a, a black woman on the front cover of any mainstream magazine in the uk and people like, I, I'm actually shocked by that. I can't believe it. But yeah. because I've never I had to seek it out, I don't realise. And actually, when you realise, it's a bit like when you buy a car. When you realise you buy a new car, you suddenly start seeing that car popping up all the time all over, you know, all over the road. So it, I think it's raising awareness first. It's talking about the how, right? How do we move forward? Right now we know all this stuff. How do we move forward from it? How do we become better allies or how do I just make my business more representative of different types of people Mm. so I in turn can actually then start to actually get more clients because most people Nathan are motivated by the bottom line right so when they realize that actually not including diversity within their business is costing them money suddenly there's a shift in intention to change and I'm being a little bit um a little bit pessimistic because not everybody is motivated by that but in terms of corporates and brands they care about the bottom line yeah that and and that's that's an interesting conversation point of conversation i mean i i know that i never personally saw that kind of effect on my business as a photographer uh, or otherwise but it's it's interesting to think about what motivates us at the end of the day and and you're right there is there's a certain amount of kind of subconscious programming almost because of cultural influence and it's i mean i just kind of cringe at the even the idea of that I realize, just to make sure I clearly acknowledge this as I did earlier, that that my perspective is a little bit naive, largely because of my personal experience and and largely just because of my tendency to just want to connect with any and everyone. And, And, you know, the idea that somebody would still show favoritism to one person or another because of how they look is just, it just seems so ridiculously naive. And, and that's to put it very simply and softly. And, and, and I, I just, I guess at the end of the day, I wish that we didn't have to have these conversations. I wish we could all treat each other as fellow human beings. And it would be as simple as that. I realize it's not. And so, again, kudos to you for actually, first of all, thank you for being willing to have this conversation and kind of shed some light on the topic and help educate me as as the naive guy that I am. But but also thank you for setting an example and, and an effort at ex, or inclusion rather in, in this, this, um, this brand new bride. And 
I'd like to maybe to make it even a little bit more practical when we were talking about how we can proactively be more inclusive. Awareness is the first step in that regard, and, and these conversations are helpful toward that goal. But what are some practical things that our listeners can do, our photographers can do in our industry, and really the industry at large, um, to be more inclusive? I think there's 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 a number of really, really simple things that, that you can do from today. I think people hear the word sort of diversity and they think oh you just for some people it's just it just feels like a really boring dry topic that you're forced to do like health and safety mm. um, but <laughs> <laughs> the way in which I teach it is it's about it's just it's just about better connecting with human beings and 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 recognizing what barriers are in place so as much as we have bias and we automatically are attracted to certain types of people sure um our, conce- our potential clients also have bias, and they're either going to engage with you, or you're, or they're not, based on the impre- based on the aesthetic of your brand. So there are things we can be doing to to better include people who who perhaps we're not already. The first thing is having awareness and having the desire. Um, other things is look, you know, being critical at your portfolio, having a look and seeing right who am I, who is who is being, who am I missing out here, who am I excluding. What groups of people am I excluding in here? It might be people of a certain age. It might be people of certain ethnicity. It might be people of a certain body shape, body size. It might be people in the disabled community. It might be people in the LGBTQ plus community. Who am I not representative of on my front page? And I'm not saying your front page needs to look like United the Colours of of Benetton, but people (laughs) making... People are making a very quick decision about whether your brand is inclusive to them or not. Yeah, and yeah. if they don't see themselves represented, consumers are, they'll go off. Uh, there's a stat somewhere, consumers are more likely to engage with a product or service if they see themselves represented. It's as simple sure, as that. Sure. And uh, definitely in the, in the UK, what's happening now is, is people are being much more influenced by our social media aesthetic. So they're finding out they're seeing a brand they like they might see them online they might see them on, in a magazine then they're going over to their social media to suss them out and again if they're scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of images before they come to a single person of color or before they come to a person who's a size a size 14 upwards they will disengage yeah. or, or some people will subconsciously think well it's not for me so it's thinking about you know who am I excluding and what can I do to better start including them it's digging through portfolios and if you're missing them it's being more conscious about getting those images getting that visual representation another thing is language what language are you using it, you might be more progressive in the US but in, in, over here people are still using the word bride and groom to describe wedding couples right right so my, my tip is use the word couples. Don't make an assumption that the people who are coming to you um, are marrying the opposite sex. Uh, right. So use the word couples, just tiny things like that, not making assumptions and just being more inclusive attitudinally can really be a start in, in getting people engaged with your brand. That's good. And, and I appreciate that feedback. I'm also curious too. I mean, when it comes to this topic of inclusion, what is the, what is the balance? Balance is probably a terrible word, actually. Where's the, the line between making sure that we are uh, celebrating differences, but then also for the sake of inclusion and celebrating that idea that, that I mentioned earlier, which is that, hey, this is just a fellow human being that I get to celebrate life with. What's, it, yeah. what's, the, what's the line between celebrating differences and also celebrating similarities? 
I, well, I'm going to direct you to uh, an article I wrote. Well, one went out today, and that's particularly for the LGBTQ plus community, how to include without tokenizing. And I wrote one uh, probably about four weeks ago, how to how to avoid tokenism in the wedding industry. So okay. if you Google those listeners, have, 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 a, have a read, because I've given a whole load of, of tips in there. Wonderful. But the balance, I, one of the things I like to try and articulate is that, that couples who are in minority groups, so generally that's sort of race diversity, LGBTQ plus community, disability, age, gender, any uh, female, anyone who's in a minority group struggle sometimes to find visual inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Because the inspiration is geared towards our bias or, mm. or, or society's bias. So sometimes using um, and celebrating difference is actually really helpful, especially if you're using it on social media and you're using keywords, because it means people like me who struggle to find images of black brides can find you. It's like, ah, because in a pool of billions and billions and billions of images, yeah. if you just type in bride, most of the images that come up are white blonde women so if I'm uh, a woman of color or if I'm a wheelchair user and I specifically want to see inspiration that is representative of me if I type in disabled bride for example I'm going to be drawn to more specific content and also people who can serve my community rather than just a wild wild large pool of hundreds and thousands of images so it just helps us with search terms it's just something really useful so I think it's you know the balance is there you know it just I do it intuitively so it's not really helpful but it's it's not labeling all the time but it's being helpful it's being helpful that makes sense Uh, that, that, yeah. that, that makes sense. And I think it, it, that is a wonderful balance. And we'll make sure to, to link to that article that you referred to in the show notes. So for all our listeners, um, all you have to do is just go to bokehpodcast.com, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, and we'll make sure to link to that article in the show notes. And I really appreciate you, again, just uh, uh, your patience with me and, and kind of addressing this topic, because it's a one that, that you know, I guess, uh, admittedly, because of my naivete and, and maybe even a lack of experience around the topic in, in some ways that I'm, I'm still a bit of an idealist. And I'm, I, you know, I want to just say, hey, let's let's just love everyone and treat everybody equally. And, and the reality is that's not happening. So, of course, we have to have the conversations. I appreciate yeah. you being willing to have the conversations and, and shed some light on the topic and educate me and our listeners uh, a little bit. And speaking of education, oh, of I'd also love for you to share your perspective on what you look for. I mean, as an editor of a wedding blog, and, and there's so many wedding blogs out there, but I'd love to get your take on what photographers should be doing to create, I, I don't know, maybe not necessarily to create imagery, imagery specifically for a wedding blog, but what types of imagery or images are you looking for as an editor? And what should photographers be keeping in mind if they want to be published? I think photographers should spend some time researching the bloggers out there who are in alignment with the client base they already have or the client base that they're trying to attract. Okay. Because there are so many different blogs out there and they all look for different things. So I think but just dedicating to, some time to there are so many there are so many things on the website that sort of rounds up top 100 bloggers, top 50 wedding bloggers, all these sorts of things. But just spend a little bit of time doing some due diligence because if you spend some time 
working with bloggers and building relationships with bloggers or editors or publications who are in alignment and you have good synergy, then your work is more likely to be featured because they want to see your work on their platform and vice versa. You want to see their work on theirs because there's an alignment with the client base. So it's spending time to work with the publications and the bloggers and the brands that are in alignment with your client base or the client base you're trying to attract. One of the challenges that I have for uh, people of colour, all people who are in sort of interracial relationships, is, is finding photographers who can adequately capture extreme skin tones <laughs> without blowing out one and uh, that's a great great point so that's yeah. a real challenge for my readers yes so i i have to i'm often turning down work because there is there is difficulty with with the photographers lighting these different skin tones so that's a huge one for for, for a blog like mine so it's making sure that the the photographer i'm working with knows about these little nuances and skills and and some of the challenges there I really personally love images that are reportage, are not posed, are uh, capturing the day as it unfolds, um, where you can really pick up on the emotion. Most So some blogs really like details in weddings. So, you know, the decor, the flowers, the detail. I'm a bit of a mix because there is a lack of diversity of different types of people in the wedding industry mm-hmm. my readers really like to see people who look like them so my readers love people um whereas another blog might really like the details because you know they're, they're serving a different niche so that's what i would say just spend some time getting to know a few publications seeing what they like seeing what their submission terms are and you know building a relationship because i think that's what it's all about and I'm glad that you point out, I, I want to kind of go back through the different ideas that you mentioned, first of all, to this point about being aware of what blog or blogs fall in line with what your brand, your photography brand is about. This is really important. There's a mm. tendency that that photographers have, and I'm sure I was guilty of it as a photographer too, to just kind of haphazardly function. You're trying to run a business and hopefully get a few clients and make some money and, and then ideally get published and you get so excited about that. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're only going to run as an effective business as possible, if we are very, very clear about our brand position, who our target client is. And in this case, as you're pointing out, actually connect with those blogs that are reflective of that brand position and that look. So it's very important to be clear about that upfront for the sake of your brand and also for the sake of being published. I love that you point out the the significance of making sure that skin tones are represented well. Mm. This is a really interesting one, largely because I own an editing company. Uh, Yeah, Photographers Edit and and Boca happens to just be production of Photographers Edit. But this is a really big uh, problem, particularly these days with these uh, what are called Lightroom presets or Photoshop actions, yeah. these these effects that are applied to images that have a tendency of kind of shifting the tone of the image to emulate the old film looks. Yes. And in some cases, they have a really strong green tone that can really just distort skin tones significantly. And yes. uh, and then, as you point out, pointed out earlier as well, you, you, there's there's a tendency to for the for the sake of what's called a, a light and airy look to, mm. to kind of blow the images out, and that also distorts skin tones. 
uh, in many cases. So I'm glad that you make that point. Do be aware of the significance of the accuracy of skin tones, photographers, our listeners. You know, while while there are certain trends that that have I've seen even come and go as a photographer, or being in the, the photography industry for almost 20 years, it's important at the end of the day to remember that you're accurately representing your your clients, whatever their skin tone may be, and also keep in mind that these images may look absolutely hilarious or even sadly hilarious three or four or five years from now when this trend goes away and that look is no longer the the thing. So keeping that in mind is is really, really important. And, th- and then I find it interesting that you mentioned that you're not just interested in the details, but also the interactions between the couples, that, that your yeah. readers are looking for that. It seems like there's been so much focus in recent years on the details. And while I understand the appeal there, it's ultimately about the people getting married in the end. And so I'm glad that you put a priority there and that you made that, uh, that mention for our listeners as well yeah I mean you know for me that's 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 a priority for me because just because you know statistically there is less visual representation for for couples of different um ethnic backgrounds so they want to see what somebody who is Turkish who is marrying somebody who's Ghanaian what those what the what it might look like so there is a there is a need for practicality there but Mm. also yeah I love to show love and I can't see love in a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that is beautifully summed up. I think we need some T-shirts from that. I, I love it. Well, Nova, I, I really appreciate you making time amidst your obviously busy schedule. You've got a lot on your plate. Again, just kind of lent, lending your perspective and your experience to this conversation around inclusion, but then also about what photographers should be considering too as they're photographing for wedding blogs and looking to get published. It's it's something that I think we all kind of get excited about at the end of the day. So I appreciate you sharing your your perspective there. Will you just reiterate where our listeners can learn more about New Bride and, and follow you online and social media as well? Yeah, I will. Um, I will do that. I just want to say one more thing. It's I think we forget that because because our collective experiences of life and and how we live is very different to people who have grown up in mon- who've grown up in minority groups. Yes. I think we can forget and get trapped and locked in the frivolity of, of weddings. Yes. For some people, they are extremely poignant um because we you know there's a recent stat floating around at the moment um because we've got pride happening in 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 london tomorrow that 60 68 percent of people who are in same-sex relationships fear holding hands or showing any public displays of affection in public for Mm. fear of being attacked Mm -hmm. so it's just a reminder that for some people getting married and having that day captured is monumental and I think if we can just remember that um, as sort of suppliers and photographers about what we're bringing to the table and what we're being part of um, I just think it adds a different dimension to, to everything so yeah I'm all about celebrating love however that comes in all its forms so you can find me on www.nubride.com I'm all over social media, mostly NU underscore bride. And for those people who are interested in sort of my diversity consultancy and one-to-ones, I am novareed.com, which is R-E-I-D. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Nova. This is this has been so so lovely. And and I I again your energy is just I, I can't believe it. you're you're alluding to your age and, and I'm looking at these images <laughs> on, on the on the website and I'm hearing the energy in your voice. I, I would I would the last thing in the world that I think would be to to suggest that you're aging in any way. Your energy is lovely. Please don't stop with that. Continue to put that out in the world. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today, for sharing your perspective. Aww. And we'll make sure to link to all of these uh, resources. The article, uh, as well as uh, to your website, to your social media, and, and the uh, show notes for our listeners. But uh, thank you again. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>